This episode is sponsored by Headley and Bennett, who make kitchen gear for the best chefs, home cooks, and makers in the world. Right now, their popular crossback smock apron is back in stock, just in time for Mother's Day. Plus, check out their newest knife collection at headleyandbennett.com. That's headleyandbennett.com. And enter wine15, wine15, at checkout for 15% off your first order. We'd also like to give a shout out to Good Acid Podcast, an exciting new podcast on the food and drink culture in Paris, hosted by an American in Paris, Vanessa Ruiz. Welcome to Winesplaining, the podcast that peels back the journeys of the women shaping the wine business. I'm Coley Denhon, and I'm excited to present today's guest, Isabel Lagaron. Today we have wrangled a living wine legend in living wine. It seems nearly impossible to try to summarize Isabel's incredible career. Just a few things. She's hosted a TV show, run wine programs at two Michelin star restaurants, as well as other wine programs around the world, including the Caribbean. She started the internationally renowned Raw Wine Festival, founded a wine school, published a best-selling book on natural wine, and was the first French woman to become a master of wine a qualification that is generally regarded in the wine industry as one of the highest standards of professional knowledge, with only around 400 masters worldwide and less than 150 of which are women. So basically, she's idle-worthy and totally winning in all things wine. Welcome to Winesplaining, Isabel. (laughs) Thank you. Wow, that's a hell of an introduction. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show today. Yes. Well, you're a hell of a woman. So... There's obviously so much to discuss with you about your amazing life and wine. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask an important question. Uh, You host one of the leading natural wine fairs all over the world, RAW. So tell me, where is your favorite RAW event held? And uh, full disclosure, I'm voting for Los Angeles. (laughs) Well, no pressure. Um, You know, I I actually, you know, there's obviously a, a tough question. I mean, I love them all. Um, because they all have an incredible energy and they're all very different. You know, each each fair appeals to, you know, I mean, the, I would say the demographics is very similar. You know, we, we're um, people coming to the fair are, you know, so quite quite young. Um, you know, I don't regard myself as in that category anymore. Um, but they are, um, you know, people who really love nature, who believe in ethics, Um you know, so so the people turning up at the fair are always very similar, but the energy somehow is always very different. I think I think the growers, obviously here in LA, we have a lot of you know domestic growers, which is which is amazing, because uh, for me it's always a you know when I created raw wine and, and brought it to New York and Los Angeles, I really wanted it to be as local as possible, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's really important. Um, so they're all you know they're all each single fair is is. Is very different. I do love coming to LA um, because uh, LA is very relaxed. It has a very special energy, uh, especially then uh, you know when you compare it with New York, which is you know um, like uh, being on 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 a, on a very fast train and about to crash. This is the feeling I get when I'm in New York always. 
So I love LA. It's it's like it's got a really gentle energy, um, and at the same time, you know, it's been an amazing. It's been amazing to watch the evolution of natural wine in in LA. I mean, you know, we first came here in 2017 um, with with the fair, and since then, you know, the amount of of places where you can drink natural wine um, is is you know I think is 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 incredible to have seen that development and and you know. I mean, I'm not saying we're responsible for it, of course, um, but I think you know I'm sure we also contributed to to you know to it by bringing all these all these growers together um, and bringing so many people from from all over uh, the, the world as in terms of growers. So you know, for me, coming to LA is really special, um, and you know, and I know the growers love coming here as well because you know. The weather is magical, the energy is great, and the food is tremendous. You know, there's so many amazing places uh, to eat, you know, so, like incredible food from all corners of the world. So L.A. Is, is, you know, is a very special place. So Awesome. So we got those chill Southern California vibes. I'll take that. Uh, yeah, right. Sorry, that was a bit of a long-winded answer no, to your no, question. I, but. We, I could talk about Los Angeles all day long, but we're not here for Los Angeles. We're here for you. Uh, so... I'd like to start at the beginning um, about where you grew up and what your childhood was like. Yes, and um, you know, the, 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 my my upbringing is actually played a huge part in. Obviously, I mean, it's that's a bit of a cliche, but in, in who I am today, but more in terms of who, where I'm at, you know, in my in my in my um, wine journey. I, I was brought up on a really. Um, Simple farm in uh, in southwest France in in Cognac, and my family, uh, you know, I'm like six, seven generation of of grape growers uh, in um, in 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 Cognac, and and uh, my my brother is now taking over the farm, and I was brought up in a very um, you know my my upbringing was actually really simple and very focused on seasonality of food. Uh, we're a big family of foragers, and I still do that, and in fact I'm. Now taking my my two year, two and a half year old daughter looking for mushrooms um, because it's the season at the moment for for us in in England. Um, so I, w- I was really brought up uh, in touch with nature and and having a, a deep respect for 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 nature seasons, eating whatever is in season. We only ate what we grew um, and and the animals we kept on the farm. Um, and my family had you know it was it was tough. Um, I was b- born in the seventies in seventy two. In the 70s and the 80s, as as you know, as probably here, you know, were really difficult in in, in Europe, and and I saw, um, you know, I was brought up on a, on a grape farm, and we farmed all sorts of stuff. We were a very very diverse uh, farm, but I saw my family uh, move from an organic farm to a conventional farm, um, and and we're very. Um, it's actually a very typical story of what happened in in Europe with the Green Revolution. Um, whereby you know we had we had a team harvesting the grapes like 30 people um, everything the, the the vineyards were full of biodiversity we we would go and collect you know wild asparagus and mushrooms in the vineyards it was so it, you know there was so much going on um, and then but my parents were slaves to to their work and they never really had any time off you know in the 70s 80s and then people started turning up at the farm saying, you know, you should use weed killers because actually it will save a lot of work and, and you know, maybe you can go on holidays. You should start using uh, fertilizers. I mean, fertilizers in the 70s was, you know, it's a big, it's a big deal. 
And then, and my parents got caught up in that. They also bought, bought a machine harvester uh, because instead of three weeks, 30 people, you had to feed, you know, every day uh, and, you know, really hard work for my mom. They, you know, suddenly you could do the harvest in four days. So this is what happened. And, and you know, so I'm, I really saw this development, which was really heartbreaking because our vineyards turned from being beautiful, vibrant, you know, gardens into rock hard deserts uh, where nothing really grew and things you know and, and actually things are changing now but but my my brother um you know carried on the conventional farming is changing things and and this used to be i mean i couldn't even go into the vineyards for years and this used to be a big source of conflicts between me and my family um, and now i've kind of come to accept that's his journey and he's learning but i i put my nephew for a, an apprenticeship at uh, Olivier Cousin, so for a few for a few months, so he's he's changing things slowly, uh, which is which is nice. Um, so so yeah, and and my dad died of um, lung cancer from overspraying, you know, the vineyards uh, when I was twenty eight. Uh, my my uncle also died uh, from from overspraying from from um, Parkinson's. You know, there's a lot of all of the men in, in that generation in my village basically died uh, from from overspraying and not having any protection and not knowing what they were doing. Um, so so that really informed. And when my father died, I was 28, is when I, I started really questioning what I was doing. At the time, I was, you know, I, had no, I wasn't working in the wine industry. I was working in London. I was running a, like a publishing company. And then, I, and then it really made me think about my upbringing and what it all meant. And then, and then I started, uh, it was my second career on my Saturn return, I call it. And then I, I, um, I went to the WSCT and I did the diploma in two years. And then I did the MW. And that was, that was the start of my, my one career. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I was 28 and I, I went to my first WSCT class, I had no idea, like, a Chablis was a Chardonnay. You know, I knew nothing about about wine you know I was brought up in wine but I really had no idea what wine was like so just to go back a little bit um I mean and that's that's really an interesting part of your tale I mean that makes you know things really seem to come full circle when you told me that I almost got chills about your your father and your uncle so when you when they switched to conventional wine you were around how old I was um, maybe getting on to like I don't know ten. Ten. Yeah. So and, I, and I worked all my all my life. I worked, you know, everybody worked in the vineyard, like my brother, me. When I was growing up, you know, there was no Wednesdays or days off, or you know, we always had to to to. So I, I've done vineyard work up till I was eighteen and went to university, basically. So yeah, that's around the age that you start really like kind of noticing things mm. as your own person. So you know, you're really seeing this happen. Did this make you not want to jump into a career in wine immediately? I mean, so you said you went into publishing. What what drove that? Is that what you wanted to do? So I just wanted to get out, basically. Not not because of what was going on, you know, when, when you're a kid. I mean, I had no concept that this was happening really in, in, in the vineyard. You know, it's, it's, it's only since, you know, when I was looking back at the way I was, you know, I was growing up and, 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 and the farming practices, you know, had no, I didn't have that awareness when I was you know, when I was a teenager all I could think about is I don't want to be working in a vineyard you know I want to discover um, you know, always out there I also you know also came out to my family when I was as you know as a, as a gay woman 
when I was in my early 20s. Um, and that really didn't go down well with no. <laughs> my family at all. Uh, so I, I just had to basically go, you know, run, run, run away in a way. And, and um, so I, I, I found that in, you know, went to university, did um, like a you know, master's in business and then ended in London. up. In 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 France and and Britain, okay. um, and then ended up in London for you know for work when I was like twenty two, and got a job and then stayed. You know that was sort of my became my life. Um, so yeah, wine wasn't really on on my agenda because all I could think about as a teenager who had to work in the vineyards was uh, you know <laughs> I, I need to know I need to discover a little bit more of the world. Um, but you know, ironically, you know I always I, I do think back of what would have happened if I'd stayed and taken over the vineyard um, with my brother, things it would have been a very different story, but it was just not my journey at that point. Yeah, I, you know, when I'd made the decision to only carry female winemakers in Vinovore, when I first started, like, really talking to people, it was so interesting how, you know, especially in Europe, it just wasn't acceptable for the daughters to take over. It was always the sons, and if... They didn't have a son. It was the daughter's husband. And it only seems like recently in the last maybe 10 years that the the women have really been a little bit more embraced in Europe as far as taking over um, the family vineyards. Yeah, so, but then uh, even if you speak to, to female winemakers who are doing things by themselves, you know, now, nowadays, I think you still hear a lot of difficult stories of how the neighbors are still, you know... <laughs> Sure, <laughs> quite sure. difficult, but yes, <laughs> things are changing. Yeah, just very slowly. But it wasn't the case in my family. I mean, you know, my, my family, you know, straight away, you know, I was the only one really who went to university, and I was fascinated by the Ingl- English language. And my family never said, "Don't leave," you know, "Don't go to university," or or, or "Don't do the farming." You know, in fact, m- I think my m- my pa- family would have loved if I'd stayed you, stay home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so. You're in London. Um, your father passes when you're 28. Was that the catalyst for for? Yeah, for me it was. Uh, it was it was um, de- trying to deal with his his you know his passing when I was very close to him. Um, and because I'd left such a long time ago, I, f- I felt a little bit disconnected from you know from my family. And that was just you know I, I sort of I started to. I guess I really started to miss home and, and realize that, you know, I'd left something quite special. Um, and, and you know, when you're born, and my mom always says that, you know, when you're born in, in the soil and the land, you know, it's kind of, it's in you, it's part of who you are, it's in your blood. Um, and I do feel really strongly connected to, to that piece of land, you know, um, back home when I, when I, when I go home, the, you know, the smell and the feeling of it. Um, so, Yes, it was a catalyst, decided actually maybe wine is not so bad after all, but I needed a little bit more knowledge because I knew nothing. Um, and, and then I started this very, I would say, academic journey um, through, you know, standard classic wine education. Um, but the more I, I progressed in my studies, the more I kind of realized that I wasn't really getting what I wanted out of, out of the wine industry because I, I basically I realized the wine industry is just like any other industry you know it's like people running businesses mm-hmm. um and what i was looking for was was what i had when i was a kid you know like this idea of farming meeting people with dirty hands you know i was brought up you know with my parents like my dad's hands were always really rugged and and full of you know always blackened by 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 um by working um in the vineyard and i couldn't find that um 
But, you know, obviously through my studies and then I started meeting key people like Nicolas Jolie um, and, and realized that there was a, a small parallel wine world um, that actually really, really resonated uh, with me and, and full of people who are, you know, basically the, the natural wine industry and, and, you know, natural producers, organic producers, biodynamic producers. And, and then for me, it was just sort of a, um, a big relief. Uh, and, and that's how I, you know, ended up throwing myself into, into this world because it was just, you know, people I, people I knew in a way. Yeah. So master of wine, I, you know, you're the first French woman and that's, you know, something that you can own forever, which is pretty cool. Mm. Uh, you know, I've studied wine, of course, but, you know, I've never ever thought about taking it that far because it is a lot. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's, a lot. It's, a, it's the toughest thing I've actually ever done in, in my life uh, from an academic perspective. You know, I've, I've done five years of university and I've, you know, studied my fair, my fair, my fair share. And then when I went, went back to studying wine, a, I didn't know anyone in the wine industry, so it was a bit of a lonely journey. And then when I entered the, the Masters of Wine, I didn't know any Master of Wine, so I couldn't say to anyone, what is it like? It was just for me, because I, I knew no one, I thought, I've done the diploma, what else is there to do? Well, let's just do the Masters of Wine, because this is kind of a, at least I'll meet pe more people. But boy, I mean, it was it was like, like the, the you know, the, the, um, it's relentless because you have to learn so much and you have to be so disciplined. And I was working at the same time. Um, so, you know, I did a lot of, you know, it's, it was my, my re regimen was, was, you know, I got up at six, six till nine, study, and then, you know, my days. And then in the evening, I would systematically taste. Um, so it was, it, was, it was hard going. But at the same time, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. You know, I do, I do love learning um, and... And, you know, I think I think when you come out on the other side of it, obviously, it's a, you know, it's a big sense of, of achievement, of achievement. Um, but it was, yeah, if I'd known what was waiting, I actually probably wouldn't have done it. No, so, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Then when I look back, I mean, obviously, now it's different because, you know, I've got a business and a, and a family and a kid. And so things are very different. But it's still, um, yeah, it's a hell of a thing, you know, people. And, and it's very, you know, I think people, people have this vision of the of the MW also being incredibly um, classic. I mean, it is very classic, but also narrow-minded. Um, and I always defend that because, for me, you know, I was still able to do the, M, the, the 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 MW course. I was a bit of a of an oddball, you know, within that because I was, you know, obviously really into natural wine, and I was all the essays that I wrote were completely <laughs> giving a very different take on on fermentation and, and and so on because I was always bringing the the natural element you know the natural fermentation and 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 so on but at the same time I you know I got actually really good scores and I I you know I I was when I when I did the the, the tasting I was the best taster in my in my in my year and I won the Madame Boulanger award uh, I won a couple of prizes you know in in the stuff I was writing even though it was out there so I think the MW is not about formatting people. It's about giving you enough arguments to basically voice your own opinions because there's not one truth. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think, you know, for me, the, 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 the MW was, you know, was great. And it gave me, I guess, an authoritative voice. Uh, and, and 
you know, when, when I when I became an MW, then and by that stage, I was fully into natural wine. And, you know, I knew this is what I wanted to, 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 to do. But the, the day I became an MW, I got so many phone calls of people saying, you know, come on, we've got a job for you here and there. I was like, I'm, I can't because I, I have to just follow what I want to do, which is just, you know, work with natural wine. I had no idea what it was going to look like. And people said, you're completely crazy. You're wasting your career and uh, you're making a big mistake. You know, that was like a few, you know, well, like 12, 15 years ago. So. Jokes on them. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so once you, you know, get through the program, what uh, what did you do with, with your career? So I, um, I started working for, you know, sort of designing uh, programs for, for restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was, you know, with uh, somebody who's now a very, very close friend of mine, Claude Bozzi, who's a Michelin star chef in, in London. Um, and I, you know, worked with him for, for many, many, many years. Uh, we were the first Michelin star. We were two, two star at the time to actually embrace natural wine and, and I completely transformed the program. Um, and then in 2011, I because I was starting, obviously, I, I was going to all the natural wine fairs in, in Europe, you know, La Dix Bouteille, Vin Nature uh, in Italy. Um, and I thought, why do we have this in, in the UK? This is crazy, you know, because, you know, the natural wine scene was developing then. And so in 2011, I, um, I created what was then called the Natural Wine Fair with a lot of importers, brought everybody together, um, you know, which wasn't so successful from a collaboration perspective because I think the, some of the importers just, you know, I don't know. It just it kind of didn't work out, but it was a brilliant event, and it just made me realize actually, you know, there is something magical to to do there. And then the, the year after, I, I created Raw Wine in London, thinking this is just going to be a small local event. And then, but but from the beginning, you know, my mission was to to be transparent um, and to declare winemaking practices, to declare sulfite levels in the wines, uh, we're, and we're still the only fair to do that um, and be really really transparent and publish all the information about about each each wine that is being poured at the fair and then the growers were like wow it's amazing we love it and we'd love to go to Berlin and then we'd love to go to New York and then you know and then kind of it sort of happened that way you know I never meant it to be an international (laughs) event company because that's really what it is now so it organically grew yeah Uh, that was yeah, one of my, my questions, I wondered if this was like the dream all along was kind of like natural wine fair world domination or what, did it just start, you know, as a, a grassroots community thing? So you really didn't intend for it to get this big. Yeah, um, look, not not at all. It was um, at the very beginning, it was meant to be a London event um, and it grew. It was driven then by 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 the growers and, and where they wanted to go. You know, we've had tremendous demand for for us to take the fair to Paris. So I think next year that's, you know, going to be our next uh, edition. But if, for me, I mean, you know, what what I really, my, my actually personal dream is to make wine uh, and spend a lot more time, you know, farming. I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere, but I, I'm not, you know, I only make vermouth and all sorts of things in my, in my, um, in, uh, at my house. But what I would really love to do is go back to farming. So hopefully, you know, in the not too distant future, that's where I'd like to um, spend a lot more time. 
I think you would have a lot to give to the wine world and, and making wine. Would you go back to the cognac region? No, not no. at all. I don't even know if I would go back to France. Okay, I'm not entirely sure, but it would be somewhere, somewhere, so somewhere warm uh-huh. because I think after spending 30 years in the in the UK, I'm not, I'm not ready to to have a, a little bit less rain, um, you know. But somewhere around the mid. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because you know. For me, so much what we talk about with natural wine, you know, revolves around global warming and the planet and, you know, being in California Mm. and, you know, I grew up in Santa Barbara, so, you know, I know that region really well and, you know, there's a lot of really nervous winemakers, the wildfires and, you know, I've been spending a lot of time down in Valle de Guadalupe in Mexico Mm. and, you know, the the vines are dying. It's kind of the old bush vines. Are, they're, they're the only ones that can survive without irrigation. Uh, so, you know, how do you feel about the direction that wine might be going because of global warming and the regions? Uh, you know, do you think people should start considering moving to cooler climates and, you know, more north? I mean... Yeah, of course, that's uh, the major concern that everybody is experiencing. Um, and it's, you know, when you see between hail and storms and too much rain, not enough rain, you know, we are we're in a huge um, point of, of, of crisis. I mean, you know, is it reversible? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily super optimistic about where, where it's all heading. Um, but I think... I don't know if if looking to move more and more north or or maybe we need to look at what are we, you know, really what are we planting? Are we planting too much? Is there, you know, there's so many places where really those grapes shouldn't be there and rely, you know, just look at obviously California. There's so many places in the Central Valley where there shouldn't be any grapes at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we need to also look at what, where are we planting and what are we planting. I mean, you mentioned um, the, the old, you know, um, head trained, you know, indeed, you know, sort of local varieties or varieties are adapted to the climate. And I think we need to look more at how we can support the vines by maybe planting the, you know, the correct vines. I, you know, I still don't understand how, how like California is not full of Grenache and all these grapes, or even Mission, or why we don't try and go back to to these to these grape varieties. Would I, you know, if I, I think if if I look at uh, a lot of the growers, um, a lot of you know the way that they are addressing these issues is by obviously you know with organic and and biodynamic farming. I think people are able to they're able to assist the you know the 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 the, the vines better and and make sure that the vines are more sustainable and and self-sufficient you know how much of that can we carry on with i don't you know i don't really know um yes in england you know like i mean i mean i'm in britain and of course we see a lot more vineyards and they've actually we've got actually amazing limestone uh outcrops where you you can plant a lot more grapes um maybe that's the future i don't know i think i think we need to take a um you know the the I don't know if we can really salvage or it's, you know, because if it's not, like you say, if it's, if it's, if it's not the drought, then, then look at the, 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 the floods and, you know, when you're in a cold area and then you're getting colder and you're getting a lot more hail and we're getting a lot more uh, frosts, it's, it almost feels like you can't really 
escape what's what's going on um the inevitable i think it's a bit inevitable yeah mm. I almost, you know, I'm also talking to a lot of winemakers that are also switching to, I, you know, I'm sure you see a huge trend in co-ferments uh, with apples and mm. things that are a little bit more um, sustainable and regenerative and a little hardier to um, climate change. So that definitely seems to be a trend where people are, you know, blending apples and grapes or different fruits and what's available, what's indigenous, what's mm. local. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I, I think it's People are sort of warming to the idea, but it's going to be a little bit longer before people are really accepting that as wine. Mm. Yeah, so do I. And I think one thing I don't actually understand is how, you know, how cider, for example, in, in the UK, you know, like good cider made from organically farmed apples, you know, sh- should cost the same as, as a bottle of wine, really. But I think that's also so difficult to, to, to switch and develop a market for that, you know. Mm-hmm. There's it's, uh, same with Perry or, or all the co-ferments. Co- I don't know why people have this idea that because it's grape, it should be, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it should be more expensive. <laughs> but of course, you know, the big question is how how can these growers, you know, still be sustainable when they're not bringing in the harvest? And you know, I mean, my brother for four years running had nothing to bring in because of hail and frost, you know, and that you know. From a mental perspective, that's also really hard to uh, yeah, to cope with. Mm. Do you know of anything coming down the pike in terms of regenerative agriculture uh, or soil health policy? You know, anything in the EU as far as political policies on, on you know, stopping spraying or things like that, any kind of movements? Or do you think the industry is just too loaded with money than the commercial wine end to fight these kind of things? Uh, I mean, I, I haven't really come across anything which is very inspiring or or will change, you know, any of the practices. I think we have still this very dual um, dual world, you know, where on the one, one hand you've got, you know, farmers who do practice re- regenerative um, farming and who understand the importance of, you know, cover crop and no-till and you know, who understand that basically vine or any crop that they have is part of a much bigger picture and that you have to, you have to look at the entire ecosystem because everything plays their part, whether it's an insect, um, whether it's a particular plant, a bird. Um, and on the other end, you, you've got, you know, the industry, which is just basically mainly focused on, on, on yields and you know, at, w- at whatever cost. So I'm I'm not really seeing any any effort, you know, coming from from a governmental perspective to try and 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 support, you know, the 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 smaller industry. Um, but but I think there is, however, on a very positive note, I think I think you know people who do farm are becoming more and more aware that um, if they farm well, then actually the plants that they're growing are much better equipped. Are dealing with stress, you know, hydric stress, uh, disease. They understand that if if they grow their crop with, you know, a lot of other plants, for example, that there's more of a chance that they'll 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 be able to fight disease and and so on. So I think there's obviously a a growth there, but I think as 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 ever, you know, that has to come from from individual sort of. Um, uh, individual will and and rather than rely on on you know on the on the on on governments or or 
you know it's it's always like that you know it's like look at the natural wine world you know it's 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 uh you know the fact that growers are more and more transparent about the way they work and the fact that natural wine is growing is purely down to people wanting more transparency wanting to drink better being wanting more ethical businesses it's nothing to do with the establishment you know it's just it's like a a little revolution happening that's grown yeah, exponentially, no. you know, but it's, it's... The term natural wine is obviously kind of a wildfire um, term. I mean, I, I started buying natural wines, you know, 15 years ago. We just called them good wine, you know. I, it was just the wine was made the way it was supposed to be made. And, and, you know, you could probably speak to this really well. So, you know, one of my questions is, is, you mentioned, you know, your own vineyard uh, was organically farmed. And then in the 70s and 80s, and most of these, like, uh, analogy tools and tricks and sprays and chemicals and yeasts, and they're, they're fairly new when you consider the timeline of wine. So wine was really natural, you know, up until, like, what, 40, 50 years ago. Wine was all natural. So when people say natural wine can't age, that just drives me crazy. Like, what about that 100-year-old bottle that just sold at an auction? That's natural wine. Uh, so what do you think drove this massive cha- change in the industry, you know, so recently as, you know, the 70s and 80s to start changing these practices to machines and mechanical and sprays and cutting corners and manipulation? I think it's in line with um, with what happened in, in society. You know, we, we, we had the the post, post-war uh, years where it was all about uh, rebuilding um, what everything that had been destroyed. Um, and, then, and then I think there was this drive to produce more and more, um, uh, you know, more and more cheaply. Um, and, and we, and, and I think the wine industry got caught in, 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 in this. It's exactly what happened in any of the food industry, for example. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was all about being able to reproduce something as quickly as possible, um, as, you know, consistently as possible. You know, this was really what happened in the 70s and the 80s, you know, with the birth of a lot of big brands and um, even in the, in the food industry. And I think with wine, it just became about um, controlling the process to the extent that you could just create something. You know, we were in, in the consumable, um, consumerism world and, and, you know, it was all about you know, this is what I want my wine to taste like and this is the tools I'm going to be using. But you're right, you know, I mean, we've been making wine for 8,000 years. I mean, 8,000 years, you know, wine is, 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 you know, as old as obviously, you know, agriculture is a bit older. But we've, wine has been part of our culture forever. Fermentation has been part of our culture forever. Um, and, and we were very happy to sort of let things be um, and, and let the wine ferment by itself, let the wine make itself, you know, over time. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, what, ha- what changed in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s is we wanted, we introduced this concept of, of speed and, and suddenly we had no time and suddenly things had to be really quick, done really quickly. And what that means is, is then you have to replace what time does best um, by tons of additives and tons of, of in a way, of, of, of machinery. Um, so you know, I don't know. I think we, we got into the we got into the age of like you know writing tasting notes about wine, of of wine becoming a very intellectual product, 
that had to be controlled. Whereas before, we were very happy for, for wine to be just a, a food, you yeah. know, something that you would drink. You wouldn't really, you wouldn't really sort of, I don't know, lose sleep over it. You would just enjoy a glass of wine. Whereas now it's just become a, this big, you know, intellectual exercise, you know, tasting wine is, is a thing. Yeah, monster. Uh, how much do you think that, you know, that kind of pressure that has been put on wine with the points and, you know, the collectors and the reviews, uh, you know, how much do you think that's shaped, you know, the way people are buying wine and consuming wine? Well, hugely. I mean, first of all, it's shaping the way wine is made, you know. I mean, we're I think we're in this crazy world where, you know, a grower, a winemaker should just... I don't know, strive to to respect the expression of of that juice in that place, right? This should be, you know, I think for me that the job of of a, of, a, of a person making wine is is to look at okay, this is this is my land, these are my vines, and this is the juice that comes out of it, and how can I just be as respectful as possible? You know, it's quite a simple for me. It's quite a simple thing. But wine has, has um, but, you know, I think producers have never got caught into having to make a wine that is a specific style that ticks some boxes because they need points to sell their wines and they need to fit in certain taste profiles. So, you, you know, I think, I think we're, we're in, this, in this situation now where, where the wine critics um, actually shape entire regions. You know, I've, I've, I've spent lose the time you know like you know many of us in you know Spain and Portugal and Italy and and then when I taste wines and I hear the way that people talk about their wines they're not really trying to you know they don't really talk to me about their land I mean I don't mean in the natural low intervention world but I mean in the more conventional world they're not talking to me about the expression of that land really they're talking to me about the expression of that of that cellar you know, and the impact of the, their choice on oak and how expensive oak is, but it's the right type of oak because this is what people want and then people want a certain ripeness level, that means certain alcohol level. You, you know, all of these conversations are it's insane. So we're, we're in the situation where critics and the market is driving the way people are making wine. Globally speaking, I'm talking about 90% of, of the way, you know, of, of wines being produced today. It's huge. Yeah, and and then of course, and then you get caught in this idea that, you know, vintage reviews and but when you, when you actually understand the the technology that is involved in making wine, where you can get rid of excess water of a particular vintage, you can get rid of too much alcohol by just literally putting the wine through a machine, then it kind of you know everything just becomes a bit of a mockery, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very hard to rely on on what you can taste in the wine or, or what people are saying because you, there's so much manipulation going on nowadays. Uh, you know, I mean, look at um, Sauterne can use cryo-extraction, you know, to, so basically these very expensive sweet wines that should be the product of noble rot, which is this, mm-hmm. you know, incredible mushroom fungus that can shrivel and concentrate sugar. If that doesn't happen naturally, then you can just pick your grapes, put them in a freezer and then press them and then still call it Sauterne and still sell it for hundreds of dollars a bottle. You know, it's just complete. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, and it's allowed, you know. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know how much is allowed. And, you know, we could talk 
for a long time about, you know, how great it would be to have, you know, labels, you know, saying the ingredients and, and hopefully things will push in that direction. But yeah, I think that's a big, big thing about natural wine, why people are kind of catching on to it to realize that the these wines that they've been drinking for years and that they love, they, did, they just thought they were grapes. They thought, you know, wine's so romantic, but it's a billion-dollar industry, and, oh. you know, it's it's a yeah. machine, and then there's stuff in your wine that you don't know about, and that's what's giving you a headache. It's not sulfides. It's, you know, all the other things that could be yeah. in there. Exactly, and I think I think actually that for me that's really important because, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sticking stuff into a freezer and to, to press it because I think people should be able to do what they want. What's wrong is that we, we have no idea that that's going on, you know, and I think that's, that's for me, that's that's a bit the issue and that's why I was so keen to, to be very transparent with all the wines that are being poured at Raw, for example. to speak a little bit of the culture of natural wine right now because personally I kind of fell into the wine world uh, I wasn't pursuing a career in wine but I happened to get you know a scholarship to do the Italian Association and uh, Sommelier Association and as soon as like literally the first day I my mind changed because I just never thought wine was for me you know I always thought it was you know, for rich, older people. And I was really into cocktails. And that was like what I was about. And immediately, I was learning that it was, you know, it started with farming. And, and you know, like you said, it's the, the root of wine is people, you know, getting dirt in their nails and the passion and how much goes into one bottle. And, you know, I it became my mission, my mission at that time. I opened a wine bar not long after to make wine really approachable. So, you know, to let people know that it isn't this pretentious thing, that it is for everybody. And, you know, I feel like with the culture of natural wine, it is a little bit of a double-edged sword right now. Uh, on one side, I love that it's gaining so much popularity. I mean, it's great for you. It's great for me. It's great for the planet and the winemakers that we love. Uh, but on the other end, I feel like there's also still now this new kind of layer of pretension coming up with natural wine, where people are just kind of jumping on the bandwagon to sell more bottles. Uh, you know, wine buyers that would normally, you know, maybe last year were talking bad about natural wine are buying it this year because it's a trendy thing and not really understanding, you know, the purpose and heart behind it. And, you know, you have your natty boys and it's, it's natural wine is becoming intimidating for a lot of people now, which really kind of bummed me out a little bit. But I don't know if you're you're seeing that on your end. I mean, you're so entrenched in natural wine, or, or do you just see it at all as positive and, <laughs> and, and everything moving forward? I mean, look, I think I think the fact that everybody is, from a buying perspective, jumping on, on the bandwagon, I think overall is I see it as a positive uh, because I think it's it's helping develop the market and it's helping provide a market for growers to produce maybe a bit more or for more growers to come on the scene and be in, and be reassured that actually you know their their hard work in the in the, in the vineyard and in the cellar can be rewarded with 
you know, the prospect of being able to sell their wine. And if you if you look back, you know, I remember when when I first started, you know, in the, in, in in natural wine. Um, you, you know, like Auvergnois was not even, you know, people liked Auvergnois, but, you know, I could buy, I have got, you know, like I bought a lot of Auvergnois in the days because you could just buy it, you mm. know. Um, so it was, you know, and, and, and growers like Gutogau and all these amazing growers, you know, had to carve their own market. But at the beginning, they were not selling out their wine. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a long journey. Uh, and so I think we need to celebrate that. And I think we need to celebrate the fact that it has become sustainable from a business perspective to make natural wine because you know i think fundamentally that's really important you know these all these growers are running a business and you know i think it's important that they then they can live and and grow and maybe you know just basically go about their 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 their, their lives without worrying at the end of the month can they can they repay you know, a lot of the debts that they have. So I think that's for me that's positive and has been driven by the fact that a lot of people are now embracing natural wine. You know, however, I think we are, I think what's important is not to lose the vision, you know, that for me is important for, for natural wine. Um, that is really that the farming, the fundamentals are all about the farming. And we are here because these people are extraordinary farmers. And it's only when you farm well and you bring in grapes that are alive and strong and resistant that you can make wine naturally. And I think we are now really focused on, obviously, you know, we're in the age of, you know, social media, you know, wines that sell are Instagram, Instagrammable bottles, flashy bottles, flashy labels, trans clear glass and something that looks fluorescent. And that I have a problem with <laughs> because I think it's, you know, and, and a grower will sell 10 times the amount of wine if it is in a clear glass and the wine looks, you know, bright pink with, you know, a, a, a colorful label. And so, you know, and you might say, so, you know, why not? But the, the, the problem with that, with that is that we, A, you know, clear glass is very bad for the environment because you need new glass every time. You can't, you make clear glass really with, you know, um, a recycle, re recycled glass. So, so the cost of the environment is, 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 a, lot, is a lot more. There's a dearth of, of, of clear glass now. Clear glass is a lot more expensive. Uh, growers are finding it very difficult to get hold of, of glass, like in Europe. I know growers who are having to buy a year, two years, or three years worth of, of, of clear glass because the market is running out. But, you know, sometimes they pay, I don't know, one or two euros more per, per bottle. So there is a cost to the consumer. There's a cost to the environment. Uh, so I think we need to move away. And plus, it's not it's not as protective because obviously it doesn't protect the, the wine from, from UV lighting and the sun and so on. So... I think you know we, we we've we've gone too much the sort of like hey look it's it's uh, it looks beautiful and and without really stopping and thinking about the work that's gone into into that bottle of wine um, and also we're forgetting so many incredible so many incredible growers who have a very classic looking uh, label who have clear you know have green glass <laughs> you can't see what the if you can't see if it's a, a white a red a rosé or an orange white inside that bottle um you know because these people are really important and so i th i think our mission now uh, my mission is 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 to really f go back, which is why I created this this conference uh, called Alive uh, last year, which was all about the plants. Um, we have to just really focus our energy back into understanding more about the farming, um, and you know, educating you know people who are drinking wine, 
So it's not just about, you know, how luminous my wine is in my glass, because that's not what natural wine is about, I think. You know, I think there's so much more. Um, and I don't mean for it to be much more intimidating, because I think, in a way, we just need to go back to the essential. And, you know, if the wine tastes great, it's okay if it's not in a in a clear glass bottle. It's okay if it's not blasted on, on Instagram the whole time. And I think we need to... We are falling back into the conventional wine world model, which is driven by scores and notes and so on. And what we are doing is we're just following growers that are very trendy, Instagrammable, they look sexy in a glass. Um, and that's what we're doing. So we're now falling back into like being, you know, sheep, sheep, <laughs> sheep mentality. And I hate it because so many growers deserve so much more. But they're not going to get a look in because, you know, they don't speak English. They don't really care about communication. They don't care about marketing. They just care about farming, you know. Yes, and that's exactly what I, <laughs> I'm worried about as well, is I, I feel like this wine industry has come so far from when I I started, you know, just however, you know, 15, tw- you know, 20 years ago. And, and I just, I hate to see that this beautiful movement is kind of taking, you know, a little bit of this kind of... Um, turn but you know with wonderful people like you speaking to these things and you know letting the consumers hear these things and educating them about you know clear glass and fancy labels and you know I think that's important and I think that's that's a big part of the movement Mm. Uh, so where do you see kind of the future of natural wine in the next 10 years do you do you see it in grocery stores do you see it uh I mean, I think it's always going to be niche, you know, and, and the very nature of even if you have a grow which is slightly bigger and they make 100,000 bottles, that is still, you know, a lot less than big brands that you see in supermarkets that might make, you know, half a million, a million, two million bottles and, 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 and more. So I think it's always going to be, you know, the, the, the small niche um, segment, if we're going to talk it in, in terms of a, a, a wine industry. But I think, um, look, I'm really excited by seeing, you know, the development and and by seeing, you know, a a small grower in the long dock, you know, who has his five or 10 hectares and actually who is so passionate about what what, what he or she does and, and knowing that by them farming really well, being able to tell a bit of their story and by making wine naturally that that they can find a market in in Toronto or in 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 LA or Chicago or, or, or New York you know I think that's that's actually really amazing um so I think you know we, we do need to I think we need to make sure that we don't get lost in that narrative uh, and that we don't you, you know we don't um we don't dilute you know the 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 I guess the way we're talking about it, I think education is even more important now than it, it ever was. And I think your your job, you know, a, you know, with this podcast, but also in your in your in your shop, being able to really tell the story of the farming and 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 getting people to understand, you know, why a bottle of natural wine actually will cost more uh, money is also really important because we're so fixated sometimes on on. Uh, you know, on, on cost, like, you know, in, in the UK, it's all about trying to buy the cheapest bottle possible. You know, there is not that idea that actually wine, you know, takes a lot of effort to to, to, to make. So I, I th- you know, I think I think for me, it's overall, v- you know, very positive. I, th- I think also, 
it's important that we don't confine the world of natural wine into a very small community. You know, I think there is sometimes this tendency that natural wine needs to be kept, you know, to ourselves, like our, our, our secret, like our producers, you know. Um, I feel sometimes, you know, that, you know, our, our, our community can be more trying to embrace maybe, you know, I don't know, like a larger audience. You know, this is what I've always tried to do with with. With with the fair, you know, my when I was starting out with with raw wine, I didn't I didn't talk to the wine community. You know, I really wanted to to bring in people from the music industry and people from the art industry, from the film industry, the, from the food industry, because we need you know we need we need you know we need to grow the community of people who understand that farming well is really important. You know, because this, this is how we can have an impact. We're not going to have an impact by just keeping wine, natural wine, to you know, a few people who who, who know who know the growers. But you know, we, we we I really believe that we can we can actually have a big impact on the environment. You know, if we collectively push the agenda, if we talk more about farming and and and, and the growers, and and just get more and more people to to want to drink natural wine. We can actually make a difference, um, and that's you know that's always what drives me. Whenever I have a very bad day, and you know when you do events, you have a lot of very bad days when somebody pulls out or the venue pulls out or, or whatever. And I think, but you know, it's okay because what we're doing is we're just trying to push you know push the narrative more and and have more and more people understand what we are you know what we're trying to do. And and yeah, talking about the farming is is I think is the most important. We can change things little by little, one glass at a time. One glass at a time. And I think that's the message that, you know, good wine is for good people. And, and at the end of the day, that's what wine is for, is to be enjoyed with food and friends and love and laughter. And it's for everybody. And you should never feel intimidated about reaching for something new, something different, something beautiful, something natural. Yeah. And wine is food. Exactly. Taste with your stomach. Yeah. Stop tasting with your head, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Isabel, for being here. I'm looking forward to this giant uh, week in Los Angeles. Thanks to Ra. There's so much going on. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again and another time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, you know, here. I'm, I'm you know, very honored. So thank you. The honor is ours.